You're listening to the Gen Zen Broadcasting System. You're listening to 40 Something Podcast, Valley in the Vig. Now, here are your hosts, Silicon Steve Valley and the Vig. 40 Something Podcast. We are here. It is a beautiful Monday on the East Coast, at least where I'm at. And we have a very special guest today, Vig. Are you excited? I'm very excited. We keep raising the bar here, I feel like. We, we get great people coming on from week to week, and uh, we have another one again today. That's right. Brittany Lee Mason. This is a, a an activist who has been very vocal about preserving the beauty our country provides and not just our country probably other place she is an extraordinarily talented if you want to use the word successful you certainly can use that too if you want to talk about how what she gets paid to do her work but i characterize successful as she's doing something she absolutely loves and she's going after her dream and she also has dealt with mental issues, depression, the whole nine. And we're going to get into that. And she also now has inspired hundreds of people via online. I'm one of them to really go after what you want to do. So let's introduce this badass woman who has absolutely, and I've seen her journey via the internet and other things. Brittany Lee Mason, how are you? Hello. Hello. Thank you so much for having me as a guest. I'm truly honored to share my story with you guys. All right. Go ahead, Vic. Well, fantastic. So you had you know, mentioned that uh, it was it was kind of like a finding of finding yourself and looking for, looking looking within and, and you know, coming up with uh, you know, how, how we were going to get over what, what we were going through in 2020. And I think a lot of people that are listening or as, as our listenership kind of grows here on the podcast, they're looking, they're going through that soul searching as well, you know, and they're, they're trying to find themselves through this, this mess that is now starting to, you know, leak into 2021. And, you know, we're, we're coming back from this. So, uh, you know, it, it was mentioned to me that you, you've lost both your parents and, uh, I lost, just lost my dad recently. Um, and, uh, you know, he was my, so, so, okay. It's okay. You know, uh, he, he was my mentor and, um, he, he was my teacher and, uh, you know, it was like, it's just like a huge, huge form of just a huge loss really. That was just, I've just been feeling that throbbing lately. So I, I wanted to ask you, how, how were your parents growing up? Um, and how, how did they contribute to who you are today? Yeah, so um, my parents were very troubled um, from early on in life before I was even in existence. Um, They were very troubled. They lived, um, both of them lived, you know, not awful, hard, terrible lives, but not very comfortable lives either. Um, And what I can remember growing up is... um, both of my parents were alcoholics. Um, they were very unhealthy. They both, um, chain smoked cigarettes. They didn't, uh, really eat right. And they both separately had, um, a lot of, of their own personal issues that, uh, manifested throughout their marriage. Um, and then adding, you know, alcohol and, you know, some drug abuse and, um, mental health issues with my mom, you know, throw all that into the mix. And it was just, you know, 
a shit show, honestly. Um, they both did love me and my brother very much. They did their absolute best that they could under the circumstances, but they were both very deeply troubled. What kind of things were you talking about? If you don't mind me getting into this, what, what kind of things do you remember that were like, this is fucked? Because I can share the first too. Yeah, I remember being very young. My mom um, did not work. She always said, I have to stay home and take care of the kids, which is, you know, not a lie or anything. But uh, when my brother and I started growing up and we didn't really need our mom to take care of us in that way anymore, she still would make excuses not to work. Um, And she was very, very depressed. Um, And like I said, when you mix alcohol with with that, she would just um, stay home and drink all day. And then uh, my dad would go to the bar and drink because he didn't want to come home to be around that. And when he would come home, they would just fight all into the night. Um, cops were called, uh, on occasion. They knew our house. Um, they knew us by name. Um, and along with that, my dad was the only one who worked. So we, um, struggled financially. Um, there were many nights where, um, our dinners were cut in half because there just wasn't enough. Um, and, but there, there was always beer in the fridge. There was always a, a full keg downstairs. So, um, yeah, my parents fought a lot. Um, they really didn't like each other. My brother and I begged them to get divorced, but there just wasn't enough money for them to get divorced. So they just kind of just stayed complacent. And that's interesting. Cause I'll tell you what, I have a very similar vibe. My brother and I are completely different in, all, in pretty much every way. And one of those reasons are my parents, when they had me, were growing up in their mid twenties and thirties. I'm walking in on my father doing coke when I was like 10 years old on a Sunday night. You know what I mean? Um, And I saw a lot of demons come out and it is extraordinarily powerful. How many times, you know, seeing the cops come over, picture that you're five-year-old, six-year-old, seven-year-old kid. What's going through your mind as a seven-year-old when you see the cops, because your parents were so violent that the cops were actually called over. I mean, what would go through my mind is please help them. Because even even as a young child, of course, I didn't understand, you know, the full dynamic of what was going on. I mean, I understand it now as an adult, but, you know, as a seven year old child, I had no idea, you know, what was really happening. I just knew that my parents were sad. My parents were angry and I loved them and I wanted them to get help. So whenever, you know, cops would come over or even, you know, my grandparents would would come over and take my brother and I for the night if things, you know, got too heated, all I could really like really think of was please somebody help them because I don't know how to help them. So did you form any habits from this, from the, from either one of them, like, or specifically your mom, you know, cause you mentioned a lot in here. Did, did any of that rub off on you growing up? Oh, all of it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, mental health issues, uh, kind of, just um, transferred uh, onto myself. I struggled with that at a very young age. Um, Also, I've endured um, countless sexual abuse growing up um, as a child and then as a teenager and then again as an adult. Um, Mindset issues were huge, um, just always playing the victim. Um, And then also, I've actually recently discovered um, since my mom 
never uh, had a job growing up, I have um, very intense anxiety around working and like the physical act of going to work, even though I love my job and my boss is like a godsend and I love what I do. I still get anxiety from going to work that traces back to watching my mom be anxious about about working. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of, um, similarities and, and a lot of, um, connections between, uh, my mom and myself and how I've, you know, grown up, um, especially with my mental health that re that really was like the biggest one. Man, I didn't, and you know, you talk about being sexual, sexually abused pretty much since a, as a child. And we don't have, to, I don't know how comfortable you are, as I said. Um, certainly don't want to go into names or anything, but what kind of, are you comfortable going into like the kind of trauma, 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 not trauma. I'm sure it caused trauma, but the trauma, <laughs> you, are, is, you know, what kind of things did you endure, if you don't mind me us asking? Yeah, so the earliest um, childhood memory I actually have is of being molested by my neighbor. I was six years old, and uh, my neighbor um, was 16. He was my next-door neighbor. And there were several um, of us in the neighborhood, in the townhouses that I lived in, and we all played together. And he was the oldest one, and I was the youngest one. And um, in my backyard, my dad and my grandpa built a, a clubhouse. Um, that we all played in. And that's where I was abused for an entire year. And I mean, I was, you know, from the age of six to seven, it's like the earliest memory I have. And of course, I had no idea what was happening. And ever since then, that's when I really started to notice after, you know, my parents found out we, you know, went to trial, went through therapy and stuff. That's when I really started to notice um, money issues with my parents and them drinking more and them fighting more. So as a child, that being my earliest memory, um, I carried a lot of guilt with that. I felt like it was my fault that they had money issues and marital issues because everything was like fine up until that point. So I carried a lot of guilt um, for a really long time in terms of that. Yeah, I mean, think about that. A six-year-old, seven-year-old kid's feeling guilty because what, you know, he's only 16, so I don't want to be too hard on, on the kid now, but I mean, that's just fucked. And, um, you know, how, did, how had, yeah, I mean, we're going to get into more of the healing stuff, but th that is something to carry on for such a long time. How are you still, are you healed from it now even? I don't know if I'll ever fully be healed from it because every time I heal a, a layer, something new arises. Um, it's just a part of the journey. And um, in retrospect, uh, the the boy who abused me, he was also abused as a child. So, um, and he was also very sick, um, obviously to do something like that. Um, so for a while, it just, I didn't really think it bothered me, but trauma can, can rest in your body without you knowing it, especially when you experience trauma at such a young age, um, when you're not, able to address it or understand the dynamics of it, um, it can just rest in, in your body. So I've had very um, many experiences through my healing now as an adult where I refer back to those memories and kind of just work through them um, and heal from them. But like I said, with every new layer that I unravel, you know, something else comes up. It's a never ending cycle, but I've gone from like zero to 180, you know, very fast just by taking it head on.
And did this this went to trial then you had mentioned and this person was brought up on charges then and this went through the, the system? Yep. Yep. Okay. And uh he went to Juvie. Um and I actually have no idea what happened to him. I think he may have went into the army, which kind of scares me. But um I have no idea what happened to him since. Um, haven't had any contact with him, moved to a different state. Um, and honestly, I just I hope that he healed um his his trauma for you know doing this to somebody so that he doesn't do it to somebody else. Like all all I want for him is healing. That's enlightened as fuck, pardon my language. But that's something, and that's really, and I, I don't believe you're a Christian, and we can get into your spirituality too, which I definitely want to do when we're talking a little bit more where Brittany's at now. Um, but uh, you, a situation where you are absolutely forgiving him and wishing him well, it's like love thy neighbor, or love thy enemy like you love thyself, and you can go any any religion that you want. And that get there and have that is brilliant. And at 30, just turned 30. Happy birthday, by the way. Thank you. (laughs) Just just turned 30 years old. So that's beautiful. You can go ahead, Dick. Sorry, buddy. I was going to say, first off, I thought that the 3-0 for me was one of my best years. So hopefully that's coming for you as well. Uh, It's usually a good one. It's kind of, you kind of feel like you kind of sit up atop the molehill and then you look back on you know where, where, where you were and how far you've come and then you, you're able to like peer off into the distance to see where you might be headed and uh what 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 is yet to be conquered so to speak <laughs> i felt like 30 i i really wish i could go back there i mean I'm, I'm 40 44 going on 45 now and uh i kind of feel like the best of our years are are ahead of us really right now i feel like after this pandemic uh, we're going to have some of this, uh, the roaring 20s, uh, so to speak. And I, I feel that our best years are, are are ahead of us. So, I mean, I, so I have recently lost lost my father as of a couple of weeks ago. And, uh, you know, he was my he was my uh, mentor, my teacher. I was an absolute back, basket case really leading up even to this 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 week. Um, so I, I wanted to ask you, where were you mentally when your father died? surprisingly I was in a rather good place in my life it was one of those um uh random moments of where I was in a good place um I was 20 years old I had just started college for photography I was living in Philadelphia and I was um in a relationship with uh, a really wonderful man who I ended up dating for like seven years he was a great guy um so I had a lot of support um and when my dad got sick, um, uh, he was a he was a truck driver um, and a very heavy smoker. He smoked like two packs a day. Um, he always said um, emphysema is going to kill me, and um, he was diagnosed with lung cancer. So I was like, "Ha ha, dad, you were wrong. It's lung cancer." Um, and he um, got sick, and it was stage four. And we just knew, we just knew that he wasn't going to make it. Um, so. We spent, you know, nine months, um, the last nine months of his life, just um, trying to make the best of it. And um, at that point in my life, I was 20 years old. My brother was 22. So we were both um, very young, but um, my brother and I grew very close in that time. Um, So we had each other and um, my brother, my mom and I actually also grew um, very close. Our family got a lot closer. Um, It was kind of like we all realized how precious life actually is. Um, You know, 
over the months watching my father deteriorate, you know, physically, emotionally, spiritually, just the whole thing, just, you know, completely deteriorate. Um, it was not easy to watch, but it, for some reason, I held my shit together really well. And especially after, you know, dealing with, you know, being in and out of a psych ward um, and being very depressed, self-harming for many, many years, um, you know, starting, you know, partying and drinking and, you know, this, that and the other. I just happened at that point to be in a very stable place in my life where I wasn't doing those things. So I was able to handle it. Um, honestly, I handled it really well. And I think that goes into where you were at the time. You just started college. You had, you had a bright future ahead of you. Because if you're doing what, because when my pop passed, I was doing fairly, I, I just started a new job. And actually the day he died, I actually was surrounded by really awesome friends and, and the healing process was a lot quicker, but I was in a really good place. So I think that really helps the healing on that journey for sure. So that's very interesting you know, comparison between the two of us. It's weird. We have all these comparisons because we all lost a parent or two in your case too. Well, I guess so. Then there was a certain time period between the two, I would say. So your father passed away. Then how long was it then? Then then your, and your, your mother passed away then a couple of years later then was it? Was it 70 years? Yeah. So my uh, dad passed away in 2011. um, And then my mom passed away in September of 2017. And um, it's interesting because I, you know, just talked about how I was in a good headspace, um, you know, when my father passed, but when my mother passed, I was a, uh, complete basket case. I, um, was recently out of the psych ward again for the last time. Um, and I was also in the midst of a cocaine and alcohol addiction. Um, and I had very low self-esteem and it was after I had graduated college and I couldn't find a job and I was partying a lot. And, um, I was just in a really, really bad place physically and mentally when my mom died and also having to, um, you know, she got sick and, um, I was the one that took care of her and she, um, you know, her, mental state was really hard on me in my own mental state. So it was hard to, you know, care for somebody that I love, but also create boundaries of, you know, I can't take this, you know, emotional abuse from you anymore. My mom was really, really hard on me as I was taking care of her. Um, so it was just, I was not in a very good place when my mom died. I, I was actually probably in one of the worst places of my life. Wow. Yeah, I tell you what, and it's it sounds. I mean, when and we'll talk about this. This is almost like rock bottom at this point in time. Here is you, you know, where we took back seven years ago. You kind of dealing with a lot of the stuff being raped since you were six, and all the shit that went on with that family, absolute shit show as you called it, drinking, smoking, really kind of setting a lot of probably examples of what not to do now in retrospect. And then, you know what? You finally got out. You're in college. You're feeling good. Your dad passes, but you're in a good place. You probably felt wise at times because you were dealing with the loss so well. And then here goes your mother. She's deteriorating mentally and you're trying to do the best you can for it. You don't want to walk away because you're going to feel guilty with that, but you also don't want to sit there and take the abuse. And plus all the other stuff you got going on and rock bottom bottom. And I think that might've been around the same time. Was it before or after when you did that video 
which we'll get, we're going to get into next, and they can ask that question too. But how how much time frame your mom passing and and was the video video was after it right shortly after it correct? The video was before. Um, I I recorded that video as I was sitting in the parking lot um, about to check myself into um, the mental health unit at the hospital uh, in Lehigh Valley. Huh. I recorded the video before I went in. Um, and then I went in and I was um, in there for about a week. And I, I um, had checked myself into the um, psych unit because I knew that um, it was time to get help again. And that was the third time that I was um, in that unit in my life. So. Okay. So, so you put up a video on to Facebook of you entering the mental ward and you know, you basically have hit rock bottom, right? Yes. So, so what was going through your mind when you were, when you were putting this video up or you're making this video and you're going to go ahead and post it to all your friends on Facebook? What I mean, like really what, what was going through your mind? I did not tell anybody um, what I was doing, that I was checking myself into the hospital. I um, kind of just wanted, I didn't want people to worry about where, where I was. And I also wanted to be honest about what was going on because I was in the middle of um, a pretty serious cocaine addiction and so was everybody around me. Um, everybody was doing it. We were, we were all struggling together and it was exceptionally hard on me because it mixed with the medication that I was on and the therapy that I wasn't going to. Um, and I knew that others in that group who were like, not my close friends, but still, you know, acquaintances that I have had, um, conversations with, I knew that they were going through the exact same thing that I was. And I felt that if I could show people vulnerability and accountability to be like, Hey, I recognize this problem within myself and, and I'm going to get help that it could inspire others to get help as well if they need it. And by the way, a lot of those same people, and I'm not going to mention names, obviously, but a lot of those people have the same fucking problem and worse. So, you know, I think a lot of people w would be like, well, did you see that? I mean, come on. Why is she doing that? Why is she doing that? Why is she telling everybody that? And a lot of those same people might be the ones that are still struggling with it. So it's very interesting. Um, I was going to ask you about that vulnerability. It was how did you think it was? Was it something that you wanted to get off your chest? Were you, you did you think it was because it was really brave? And I thought it was inspiring too. I saw it live when it was happening. And um, what was really you just were you really conscious of? I'm doing this to inspire other people, or was it a call for help? It, both. It, it was absolutely both being, being vulnerable and saying, I have a problem and I need help. Um, just being vocal and honest and upfront about that can inspire others to do the same who may feel like they don't have an outlet or they don't have a way to get help who are, you know, people who are stuck. Um, you know, I just, I wanted to show people that like, you can drive your own ass to the hospital and ask for help and it's okay. It doesn't make you weak. It doesn't make you, you know, less than anything. If anything, it makes you stronger, um, to just put yourself first and recognize that you have an issue that, you know, you need professional help for because you don't have to do it alone. 
Uh, many times you can't do it alone. I mean, some people can and more power to them if that's, you know, the path that they chose. But I knew that I needed professional help for the situation that I was in. And I wanted <clears throat> I wanted people to know that that was the choice that I was making for myself. Um, and I, and I mean, in a way, I did kind of want attention, but not for like self-righteous reasons. I wanted the attention so that others could find help, too. That's great. That was in your head. That's amazing. Because it was just, it was very interesting to see. Because I care, we built a pretty good friendship at that point in time. I think when, and I probably wasn't at your dad's because I barely knew you guys then. So um, that. But you have met my dad, though, right? Have you've met him? I think I was at in 2011. I think we had met met briefly. So I, but I was not consistent. I wouldn't. Your mom, I knew very, very well. I loved your mom. Right. Though. Yes. You know, she was always a nice lady. You would always tell me to shut the fuck up when I needed it. Because <laughs> you guys were always. Yep, that was my mom. <laughs> you guys, you know, you're, you and your brother are two of the sweetest human beings on the planet. And the last thing you guys would do is tell me to shut. Even though I'm sure Travis has told me a few times when he wasn't in the business. Yeah, well, that's what we have Nikki for. <laughs> oh, God bless both of them. Shout out to them, by the way, Travis and Nikki in Portland. You know, um, so from there, when so why don't you take us through? And I, uh, why don't you take us through? Your, after that happened, you get out of the hospital. Your mom's still not doing well. Where are you there? When where are you there at that point? Yeah. So when I got out of the hospital um, for the last time, I did not have health insurance. I did not have a job. I did not have any money, and I went to um, what I like to call the last chance mental health ranch, um, which is where, you know, low income people and, you know, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty much just like the, like the last chance ranch, um, for therapy, but I was committed to it. I knew I needed it. So, so I went anyway. And, um, this, um, this mental health facility, uh, saved my life. Um, the therapist that I had, I kept telling him, I think I went to two sessions with him and I kept telling him, I was like, dude, like, I just cannot be happy. Like, no matter how hard I try, like I'm trying to be sober, you know, I'm trying to, you know, take care of myself, but I just cannot find the motivation to get out of bed and do the things that I love. Like, and I, I, I just felt like I was in this downward spiral of rock bottom and I couldn't get out of it. And, um, the therapist then um, introduced me to um, a book called The Secret, and it talks about the law of attraction and uh, mindset work. And yeah, we're all we're all nodding our heads yeah. like, yeah, it's everybody's changing book. Yes. Yeah. It's yeah. everybody's bread and butter into the law of attraction, um, pretty much. And I became obsessed with it. Um, with the idea of your thoughts creating your reality. It just, it really appealed to me. And I started to see it working after reading the book and doing the, you know, the daily gratitude practices. Um, sure. It was hard to find things to be grateful for, but I started with, I'm grateful that I'm alive because there were many times in my life where I didn't think I would be alive. Um, so, you know, I started with that and then it just kind of, went into um, just 
my whole life spiritually just kept diving deeper and deeper into it. But, um, so the book, the secret is, um, really what changed my life. And that was a turning point for me. And then shortly after I started, um, obsessing and diving into, uh, learning about the law of attraction, my mom got very sick. Um, she fell and broke her shoulder and refused to go to the hospital. And in that time frame, it was about a week. I kept going over to her house every day saying, mom, are you ready to go to the hospital? And she said, no, I'm not ready. I want to go tomorrow. I think that she was scared to be vulnerable and ask for help. And she was also scared that the doctors were going to tell her all of the things that uh, were wrong with her. So she just didn't want to go. And then there was like a crazy snowstorm that week. It was like in the middle of March. And then it was my birthday. So, you know, my mom, again, not wanting to be a burden, um, was like, we'll go, you can take me after your birthday. I want you to have fun. Um, so my birthday rolls around and, uh, she didn't call me. Now I know my mom can be a salty bitch sometimes, but there's no way that there's no way that she's not calling me on my birthday. Um, I just knew something was wrong. So, um, I drove over to her house to go check on her and she was unconscious on the couch, um, hours away from death. I thought she had had a stroke. Um, so I had called 911 and she spent 19 days in the ICU and when she um, eventually came out of the hospital, she had a laundry list of health issues that all stemmed from depression, years of untreated depression and her not taking care of herself. It was just a laundry list of health issues. Um, so I was going through my spiritual breakthrough and transformation at this time while also watching my mom deteriorate fast. And, you know, it was, it was kind of, it was kind of interesting to see how I was trying to be more positive and upbeat. And then my mom was just still in this victim mode. But when she came out of the hospital, um, after, after her fall and spending 19 days in the ICU, I saw a change in her. She committed to going to all of her doctor appointments. She started eating better. She stopped drinking because I refused to buy her alcohol, but she stopped drinking and she started to be a little happier. And it was the first time in my life that I ever saw my mom try. Really, really inspiring. And I can't help but to think that perhaps some of my positive influence and positive energy of her seeing my, my, you know, the very beginning stages of my transformation from, you know, Coke addict, mental health, um, you know, basket case into an actual, you know, human being. I can't help but to think that some of that energy rubbed off on her. And that's when you really started to realize this is fucking inspiring. So you already had a yearning starting with the video and then your mother at this point in time to inspire people. I've always wanted to help people. It's um, just part of who I am. I've always wanted to inspire people in some way um, to kind of open up and be and be vulnerable. I mean, that's why I'm a life coach. I, I want to help people. Helping people helps me. Um, 
other people's wins are my wins as well, you know? And, um, yeah, it just, you know, I, I guess, yeah, it kind of, um, really started to manifest itself during that time when my mom, um, was really sick and I was taking care of her and I saw her making improvements and that inspired me to, to keep going. It's interesting that you brought up that the book though, the secret by Rhonda Byrne. I mean, it was really a life-changing book for me. Uh, and it is, it is true. You can actually listen to it on audibles or you can read it and you go through it and you start saying to yourself, okay, this kind of seems silly, you know, like, cause there's a part where she says, you know, if, if you're, you know, you, if you want money, all you have to do is as each bill comes in the mail, open it up and pretend it's like a check. So the power bill comes in, the cable bill comes in the, you know, open it up and say, this, this isn't a bill. This is a check. That's a check for 50 bucks. That, that's a check for a hundred dollars. And I'm thinking to myself, that is so weird. What? So I started trying it and a couple of days went by and then, you know, things would come in and be a bill. And I'd say, this is not a bill. This is a check. And I would just say, I throw it up in the air and say, this is a check. And she, she says in the, in the book, if, you know, after a while, what's going to happen is you're going to start getting money checks are going to start coming in the mail for you. And I'm like, this is ridiculous, right? Like, no way. There's no way. Like, you're lying. I don't believe you. Right. <laughs> so doesn't like three weeks later, a big fat bonus check comes in from UPS, uh, which is a company I had been working for leading into reading The Secret, for 500 bucks, a check right there. I open it up. There's a check from UPS. And I'm like, holy shit. You know what I mean? Like, I, get I the hell out. No way. So I tell my friends this and everybody starts reading the secret, you know, and it's, uh, but, but really, I think the big, big part of that book, you know, besides the laws of attraction is gratitude and having gratitude and, uh, and in taking a moment each day, you know, I, I prefer to do it early in the morning as soon as I get up and I have a rock that I have found up in the foothills of the Rockies um, it has a little gold in it, I think. And I just kind of like let it sit on my deck, desk and every day. Before I get started, I think of three things that I'm grateful for. And honestly, if people will do that after a week or two, two weeks, maybe even a month, you'll start just feeling better about stuff. And honestly, that's how I got, that's how I'm getting through my father's death is because I had so much gratitude leading up to, to his death that it's like, it's, 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 it's 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 how it's like serving as a support uh, mechanism for for me to to get through this, and I I think people uh, you know with this whole pandemic that's going on, and now it's just like uh, you know following a just a huge economic downturn. I think people are really losing uh, this gratitude, you know, having gratitude, and I, I feel that like if we we if we have that, and just take a little bit each more each morning and and say something that we're grat grateful for, it really really can help your life immensely. Yeah, I think um, in the beginning of the pandemic, um, we all collectively were um, starting to realize like, wow, like like taking a look at our lives and being like, wow, I am really grateful that I have a job. I am really grateful that I have this house and food and I have this and that, you know, and then it shortly fell to the wayside as, um, you know, many things in the country were unraveling and unfolding in the year that 2020 was. I mean, we were all there. We don't need to talk about it. Like we were all there. Right. <laughs> um, you know, a lot of people got sidetracked and, and lost that sense of, um, 
of, of gratitude for, for what they have. And it's really, um, just, it's, it's a lifestyle change to, you know, say, to look at your, your rent bill and say, I'm grateful for a place to live instead of, you know, looking at it and being like, Oh, God damn, I owe $900 this month for rent. How am I going to afford it? Instead, you look, you look at that rent bill and say, I'm so grateful to have a home. Sure. I, you know, I, I like, I like looking at that too, because, you know, I live, live in a rather, um, low, lower income section of Denver. And it, it gets a little, it's a little weird here sometimes through the whole thing. And, uh, you know, I still pay, still pay a lot of money a month, you know, so you're just kind of like, Oh, why, why do I live in this shitty part of, but, you know, looking at it like that, like I have a roof over my head, you know, it's, it's sunny, like 320 days out of the year here, you know, or like I have friends here that, that support me, you know, those are the type of things that you want to look at, not like, Oh, my, you know, my neighbor is just creating he's, he's having a pandemic party and being unsafe and like, you know, being noisy and things like that. I, I think, um, you know, I think, I think looking at this almost like the, the glass is half empty, the glass is half full. I think gratitude really, really teaches us that. And I, getting to this West coast living, uh, you know, I, so I'm in Denver and you're in Eugene. I always think of my time in Eugene when I was taking a bus down from Portland into Eugene and I just saw all these people sleeping out on the sidewalk and it wasn't like a homeless thing. It was like, it was like, they were just cool, man. Everybody was just chill. It wasn't like, you know, it wasn't like a bad thing or a good thing. It's just like, you know, that, that's just kind of how that town rolled. Um, so I, I wanted to ask you, you know, so you, you, you picked up, moved out West and you know, how, how did that help your healing? Cause with me, it helped my healing a lot. Not, not so much with, with what has happened with my dad, but just because I had uh, a lot of, you know, you live on the East coast for 38 years and then, you know, you, you're going to, you're going to have some skeletons in the closet. So and, and then you're, you're telling us about what has happened with you. So moving out West, how did that aid in your healing? It was actually, I made the decision uh, to move out West um, before my mom died, actually. Um, I applied for grad school in San Francisco and didn't tell anybody. Um, and the day that I got my acceptance letter was the same day that my mother passed. Um, well, that we found her dead. Um, so again, at that time, I still didn't tell anybody that I was, um, you know, hucking it to California. Uh, I didn't, you know, the, the energy was around the loss of my mother and, you know, my brother and I trying to figure out what to do in terms of like, you know, like the immediate things like a funeral and selling the house and, you know, just all these things that you don't think of when you're like 25 years old, you know, you don't think of like, how do I sell my parents' house now that they're both dead? That's not something a 25 year old normally thinks about. Um, so I didn't, I didn't tell anybody and, um, the funeral happened and, um, you know, I did eventually then, um, tell my brother, uh, what my plan was that I was accepted into, um, a graduate program in San Francisco for my photography. And, you know, now that neither of us have to, you know, take care of mom, I feel like this is my green light to go and do my thing. And he totally understood. Um, and so he dealt with, um, selling the house and everything. So, um, several months later, I, um, hopped a flight to San Francisco and I spent, um, my first semester of grad school on campus and it was 
amazing. It was the greatest four months of my life. I felt so like free and I felt like a whole new woman. And, you know, it was quite a beautiful way to, um, grieve the loss of my mother because I felt relief that she was gone because she wasn't struggling anymore. Um, she was no longer in pain. Um, and at that point when she was very sick, like we all knew that she wanted to die, but didn't want to leave her children behind. Um, you know, but at the same time, she was just in so much pain and it was a form of relief. So it kind of gave me like a, a green light to continue her legacy and my father's legacy into, you know, becoming this badass photographer that I am now. So that was the start of, of the journey. Um, so I spent four months in San Francisco, had an awesome time, um, flew back to Pennsylvania and, uh, with selling my mom's house, um, the money from the house, um, I bought an RV motorhome with, uh, my then boyfriend, we bought an RV motorhome and had plans to do this great big cross country road trip and move to California. Um, obviously I'm not in California right now. Uh, the, wildfires in 2018 burned the farm that we were going to stay at two weeks before we left. So yeah, um, I was devastated. My whole California dream experience, like literally went up in flames. And, um, I said to uh, my boyfriend at the time, I was like, honey, I didn't spend all of my life's inheritance money on this RV for us to sit in your mom's driveway. Like we have to go somewhere and I want to go far and I want to go out West. Um, so we decided to come to Oregon and it was the best decision I've ever made in my life. And it's interesting you say that because I remember that I was kind of like, oh, it sucks, you know, because you guys, because you guys were both friends of mine. I felt bad you guys were leaving. You were two of my favorite people in that crew. And then your brother and his, or your and your brother and his, essentially his wife moves out because they've been together for I think thirty seven years and they're not even. <laughs> but uh, you know, it's interesting, and they all moved out. It's like, oh man, it's like every like all the cool kids left the party. You know, it's like uh, I guess it's getting late. I should leave the party too. And that's why I'm sober for <laughs> fucking eight months, you know? Right. Well, it was really interesting. Um, you know, after um, Andy and I moved out to Oregon and, you know, we were just doing our thing and it's so beautiful here. Um, and then six months later, you know, Travis, my brother, who I'm very close with, we're best friends. Um, the only family I really have left anymore is like, hey, I'm not going to be able to come out and visit you in Oregon this year. And I was like, oh, why are you broke? And he was like, well, that and also um, Nikki and I are moving there. And it was just, um, I don't believe in coincidences. Um, that, that that was not a coincidence that they moved out here as well. Um, it, it was fate. We were meant to be out here and our family, what's left of us, which is my brother and I, are, you know, meant to conquer the West Coast together. Like, we were meant to be here. Join us next time as Team Gen Zen continues their discussion with photographer and activist Brittany Lee Mason as she continues to share her journey on us with the next episode of 40-something podcast with Valley in the Vague.